Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners. It's Navigate with ID. This is your business school on radio. Friends, it's such a great time, you know, to be and also sad as it may sound that we've had several cases of all kinds of news in the last God knows how many hours. But I trust that you are sitting firmly in a place where your head is in the right space and your heart is also in the right space, and your mind. This brings me to the topic we're going to look at going forward, and it's dealing with crisis. Dealing with crisis. So the first question to ask is, what is the definition of a crisis? It is an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. I know that there are so many people that are going through undesirable outcomes now. For example, we have looming around us economic crisis, financial crisis, a crisis that is being witnessed because of the loss of very dear ones. So many stories abound. And this is also paying tribute to a great man and icon, Herbert Wigwian and also Ogubanjo, two great men who lost their lives in the course of the weekend, and also Herbert's wife and son. Commiserate with the families, and God alone will comfort you all on all sides and comfort everyone who, one way or the other, have been touched. And if that was not enough, on Sunday, I lost a dear sister of mine who fell in the bathroom, and that was it. She's gone. and one or two others that have just reached me in the course of the last 24 hours. And how do you explain that? All of that will come under the umbrella of what people may be going through. Or when there are many problems, you'll find a major serious global crisis like we had with COVID-19. You could also have the economic, financial, or political crisis that you find transcend our environment, especially with the political come public sector generals, if you may. But today, I want to take this from a slant that will actually bring more to you than the environment may portend. I want you to understand that as we are looking at this particular topic of dealing with crisis, Knowing fully well that each of us are going through all manner of stuff, I am going through my own period. Difficult as it may look, but I'm very positive. I want you to understand that the truest test of leadership mastery comes during the time of crisis. There couldn't be a better way to put this than to visit the school of Dale Carnegie. Looking at what Dale Carnegie has said, and I quote, when dealing with a crisis, worry can be a major mental block in getting the problem solved. 
And there are some fundamental facts you should know about worry. One, if you want to avoid worry, you must do what Sir William Osler did. Live in daytight compartments. Don't stew about the future. Just live each day until bedtime. That is one way you can avoid worry. Number two, the next time trouble with a capital T backs you up in a corner, you can then try the magic formula of Willie's H carrier. And what is that magic formula? It is compartmentalized in three different aspects. Number one, ask yourself, what is the worst that can possibly happen if I cannot solve this problem? That's the first one. Number two, prepare yourself mentally to accept the worst if necessary. And number three, calmly try to improve upon the worst which you've already mentally agreed to accept. You know, I didn't actually know about Willis Carrier before this time, just studying and preparing for this episode of the business school, looking at dealing with crisis. But I realized that when I got to this point, I realized that in the course of my life, that I'm, and career and many things that happen, I always, you know, get to a point where I say, what is the worst that can happen? And I would say it in the balance of business to say, what is the worst case scenario? And what is the best case? So when I get to grips with what the worst can be, I brace up myself for it. And I brace up and I say, what is the worst that can happen? When I brace up for it, it helps me. So by the time the news or the action or the outcome hits me, I would have been mentally prepared for it. Why? Because I had agreed to accept that worst case scenario. Now, that does not mean that one is living out of faith. No. That does not mean that one is unavoidably being in a space of doubt. But remember, I started within the context of worry. and. When I started, I said, when dealing with a crisis, worry can be a major mental block in getting the problem solved. And I give you two of those fundamental facts, William Osler, Willis Carrier. And let me tell you about the third one with Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie says, remind yourself of the exorbitant price you can pay for worry in terms of your health. Those who do not know how to fight worry die young. I don't know how many of you are in any of this particular state. I woke up this morning. I was excited yet unhappy. I couldn't place a finger on what was really happening to me. I wanted to start my day on a very high note but something kept pulling me back and not giving me that particular oomph that I needed. 
I sat up, sat down, had some time to listen to some very nice gospel music. I also listened to a few of some messages, as you may want to call them. I And these were, you know, more like things to just keep me up a bit. And then I saw a note from one of my classmates and um, Babsi Academy. He sent a note, a thank you note to the boys' platform, uh, old boy platform. And, um, and he was grateful for so many things, one of which was the gift of life. That he never imagined that he will make it through 2023 because he had a medical challenge. And on top of that, he was one of the distinguished old boys that got an award when we had our award ceremonies last month. And he was thanking the class and his peers for actually nominating him for that award, the professional award under Bowser alumni. And the minute I read that and before he could even land. I had to also, you know, encourage him. And that gave me some bout of confidence that my thankfulness and thanksgiving was not just in the space, that I just needed to, you know, focus and deal with it. But I'll say to you that I decided to send a note to him and some others, checking on some of my guys and saying, hope you guys are good. Some have not heard or seen them or even had them right. I just did quick notes around. Friends, the reality is that folks are dealing with all kinds of crises now. For the businessmen, businesswomen, I can tell you if you are in a genuine space as a businessman and as a businesswoman, there is every element of one form of crisis or the other. That part where you are not even sure what's going to happen because there is an unstable or crucial time which a decisive change is impending. And then you're looking out through this window and wondering what is going to happen, what is going to come through. A situation in which something or someone is affected by one or more very serious problems. Look at what is bedeviling us all around. We are in a crisis. But really and truly, I announce to you that this is the truest test of leadership mastery. You may not agree with me, but I'm coming back from a situation coming through this morning. And thankfully, I also had a support structure that would also help me through my own. And so it got so bad that I just started, you know, walking through a pathway that I normally don't walk on or thread. Then my wife walked into the room and found me in just sitting in that state of just quiet. And I had things around me and I was there. I think she went out, came back, found me in the same state and had to ask, 
what's wrong? I said, I'm fine. I said, I'm fine. It does not mean that you are okay. I said, no, just a lot is going through my mind. In between, am I experiencing a burnout or am I being coerced into a box in the corner because of the many things that are coming at me? Now, my own case was very different because I felt sitting in a space where everybody was coming at you for one help or the other. And the question is, who do you go to but for God? And you get to that point where people are asking you to help them out of a situation that you equally need help. And then you're helping them. You're supporting and assisting them, making the connections and creating the connectors for them to be better. Yet, you are also looking at your own palm and your palm may just either be dry, could be bleeding, or could just be so wet that you can't grab or grip anything. It's all manner of crisis, friends. So what and where are you exactly? Where are you? And so I took my phone and I penned down to a very close friend of mine. And by the time a friend got the message, reached out to me, and called and spent some good quality 20 minutes talking to me. When I take what my wife has said to me and what my friend said to me, I put them all together. I had a bounce. And that bounce for me was not the absence of faith, but it was more the presence of a spirit that God himself had energized in every one of us. You know, there is spirit-energized communication. It truly communicates the heart of the father to the child. And if your heart, like that of a child, then you'll be able to sit with a lot of fun and nimble touch to accept it. It can come in the way of songs that will come through and that would help make you see the truism behind it. Or you could wallow in this space of, I can't make it. Whether you're a businessman or woman, I'm sure you're going through some crazy times now. You know, just talking about business. The other day, my wife was, I mean, talking about having to replenish the accessories in our clinic, the frames, whatever you spent a naira before is now the cost of replenishment is somewhere between four and five naira, what used to be one naira. And I'm not talking about one year ago. I'm talking about six months ago. And right before your eyes, the people that are meant to come to receive succor and aid could not even afford the one naira and now, how are they going to afford the five naira? So when you walk around, you see all manner of stuff happening. So let's even talk about something that many of us may not want to accept. On Sunday, when the Super Eagles lost, the whole country went into a different kind of crisis. For the most part, a lot of Nigerians were upset. 
But you ask yourself one simple question. What did these boys do wrong? They played their hearts. They did the best they could do. But it was just not okay for them to turn that tide. Yes, you can say they were not as hungry as the Ivorians. Yes, you could also say that some of them didn't come to the party. But ask yourself, how many times have you, as a person, disappointed your parents, your brothers, your business partners, your colleagues, at the nick of time when they needed you most and you did not show up? Did anybody crucify you? So why are we crucifying the super eagles? It's okay as humans to feel, oh boy, we missed it. We missed the cup. Yes, we did. But does that give anybody the infantry to go online, to start creating chance threats on the players? Why would we do that? Why? It tells you that such people don't deserve to even sit. But if you look around and look in well, you'll see that many of those that probably are involved in such public disgust by going on because you have a phone, because you have access to whatever social media platform, and then you can drop videos, say all kinds of things about the about the Super Eagles players, that you're doing what is right and you're venting. No, you're not. You're just showing that you're absolutely a non-entity. You know why? Because if you are an entity that is able to appreciate and be grateful for things, you first and foremost thank those boys for standing out to represent your country. The same way you have an ambassador in a country, those boys are ambassadors of this country. Like it or not, forget whether our sports administrators are doing what is right or wrong. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with us as a people. In dealing with crisis, crisis is the truest test of leadership mastery. And when even you sitting and forwarding and sending such messages to other people, you're equally as bad as those that are sending those messages because we are encouraging hate. How do you deal with crisis and replace it with hate? Now, how will I feel to come back and stand with this for this country and for you? If you were so good, why didn't you come to the pitch to play? If you are so good, why is your business not, you know, bringing out millions and employing millions of people? If you are so great in school, why were you not scoring A stars? So why must I be the one to carry the brunt of your economic crisis or disaster you may have gone through by making the wrong call? My suspicion is that most of the young men that have gone with all kinds of uncanny verbiage are those that may have lost their bets. And that's why all these betting companies, they are smiling, but they are creating their own problems for people like that. So when you see someone come out and single out a player or a group of players and vent on them and cause all manner of hateful words, that man is speaking from a deep sense of loss of his own financial crisis because nobody sent you to go and bet. So because you lost the bet, you will come out and start cursing the super eagles who are supposed to be our ambassadors. No, that's not the spirit, man. It's not. But I want you to understand that crisis 
is actually a leadership opportunity. So I'm coming back to the table to say, if you are out there and you are in that space where you are hating on a brother or a sister, you're on the wrong curve. The economy may be tanking, but it is not tanking because it's meant to tank. It's just a season. There are times and there are seasons. I love my producer because he said these words and they made sense. Just look around you, the natural things that we have. This season, there are certain fruits and vegetables that will be fantastically, they will be looking so fresh. Why? This is their own season. So you're going to have tomatoes all looking so lush and beautiful. But because the season has faded and then you have a lot of pepper and you wonder, how come I'm having so much pepper around because it's the season? The minute the rains come in, some fruit, some plants, some will be out of season. And when you are out of season, something has happened. And if this is not well understood, you could get into a crisis. It's the same way with your business. The guys that are supplying diesel now have, and, and, and all of that to people's homes, particularly to generators for those that still run their generators, they're in business. But once the power situation improves, those guys will be in crisis because maybe 100% of their well-being and everything they have is tied to that business. So what do they do? They have to pivot. These things happen. As one door closes, another opens. And that's the beauty of life. And I hope you understand that dealing with crisis, it's truly a test of leadership mastery. And crisis is a mark or what I may call a leadership opportunity. With this in mind, we can discover an important truth about leadership and the evaluation of leaders. Very simply put, leaders are defined and are judged by how they respond in a crisis. You can see that anybody who has been on the phone sending out all kinds of uncanny messages because of Sunday night is lost to the Ivorians. He's not a leader. And you, that man, woman, boy, or girl that is forwarding such to platforms and creating all manner of stuff, you're not a leader equally. Yes, while the match was on, we could run commentaries. You could run commentaries. Oh, this person, these boys are not coming to the party. Oh, this boys, uh, there's something, they're flat-footed. They're not at their best. Something is wrong. You know, at some point, it felt like their legs were too heavy. But I could understand that because I've also been a sportsman. I've had to play against the home crowd. When I was at Federal School of Arts and Science, Undo, and we had to go for what we used to call the FETSAS games. I was the central defender for FSS Undo, and it was FSS Aba that hosted the tournament. And we were playing against the home team. Everybody in the stadium was for FSS Aba. We had just come. I mean, we went all the way from Undo to Aba. So the only set of supporters we had were our other colleagues. There was no time for supporters club in those days. If you're used to going for Nuga, all those boxing games, you know that you really will carry supporters club because the team will go in only one big luxurious bus that will have or two that will take all the teams. So we didn't have room for supporters club. So it would just be some other people who don't have their matches or games at that time 
will just come hold out. Then imagine playing against the home crowd. And every move you make, it's as if the ground is so heavy. I've been there. Been there. Seen it. It has happened to me not once, not twice. I remember during my youth service, I was serving there in Rivers in Port Harcourt, and we had to play the, what do you call it, director's cup. Again, I would either play five or six. I was there in the central defense, and we were playing against Imo State. And you would think that even as a home crowd, because we were playing in Port Harcourt, we had the home crowd with us. But the minute these guys caught first against us, the crowd took on. They went against us and said, what nonsense? Why are these guys not playing well? So he can swing either way. So what do you do? Every leader is defined and judged by how they respond in a crisis. The worse the crisis is, the more important the leader's behavior becomes. When you look at a man like Winston Churchill, he was considered a brilliant failure until the outbreak of World War II. Now, when you look at someone like Lee Aikoka, he was not much more than a fired auto executive until Chrysler needed someone to hold the company together. You and I can still view a crisis as a genuine threat that has to be addressed. But we also should realize that it's an opportunity to practice leadership mastery. It is a chance to really test yourself in the big leagues. And the purpose of this session is to help you bat a thousand. In any crisis, my friend, whether personal or professional, there are principles that a leader should put into action. While doing so cannot guarantee that things will turn out exactly as you would like, it can guarantee that you will display real leadership mastery. And so, we'll take a break for now, just to take a very short break, friends. We'll be back. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue on this beautiful topic dealing with crisis. Don't go away, friends. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends. And um, for those of you who are just joining, I bid you welcome. It's Navigate with ID. This is your business school on radio. Uh, we're looking at a very interesting topic uh, for the times, dealing with crisis. And uh, in the first half, went through a series of conversations. And I did say in summary that when dealing with a crisis, worry can be a major mental block in getting the problem solved. And the fact that you have um, given yourself into so much of worry, you could easily get yourself aground. Now, if you do want to avoid worry, I did give three different dimensions. Number one, you need to do what Sir William Osler did. And what did he do? He said, live in daytight compartments. You know what it is to live in a daytight compartment? Don't stew about the future. Just live each day until bedtime. More or less living for every day. Don't think about tomorrow. Just stay in there. Who is Willis Carrier? And what did he say? He said three things. He said, number one, you should ask yourself, what is the worst that can happen if I can't solve this problem? Number two, he said, prepare yourself mentally to accept the worst if necessary. And finally, he said, calmly try to improve upon the worst, which you have already mentally agreed to 
accept. And once you do that, my friend, you you coast well. But the third um, part of this was from Dale Carnegie, and he wrote that you need to remind yourself of the exorbitant price you can pay for worry in terms of your health. You know that worry can impact on health. Those who do not know how to fight worry die young. Do you want to die young? God forbid, but if you want to die young, the easiest pathway is to worry. But you have to fight it. And so when we look at the entire spectrum, and given the things that have happened in the last how many days in our country, we talked a bit about the Nations Cup and now, you know, the loss by the Super Eagles got into some heads and, you know, people went about being so uncanny towards the team, towards our ambassadors. Um, that was absolutely unnecessary and very, very bad. Such acts should be condemned in totality. But some people embrace them and encourage it by sharing such things on social media. I don't understand. And then I talked about the loss that many people have suffered, either by losing loved ones over the weekend, over the times, or even the economic, financial, and political crises that we are bedeviled with and systemic crisis that comes through all the time. I mean, it can even be so frustrating that sometimes you can have a fantastic fiber-one internet and it goes off, all the lines go off, and you turn around, you can't power anything, and they say the national grid has gone down. But here's what I said. said you need to view crisis as a leadership opportunity. And I said in that first half that when you have that at the back of your mind, you then discover that an important truth about leadership and the evaluation of leaders. And I said leaders are defined and judged by how they respond in a crisis. The worse the crisis is, the more important the leader's behavior becomes. So if there's a family crisis, it is your behavior that will actually tone down or manage that crisis. Your response to a crisis is exactly what will make it a brilliant failure or a gruesome success. And you'll see that I mixed the words deliberately. There are people who have brilliant failures and some who have gruesome successes because when successes come out of something that is unbelievable, you then wonder how things have happened and then they've come through. And so in any crisis, whether personal or professional, there are principles that a leader should put into action. While doing so cannot guarantee that things will turn out exactly as you would like, it can guarantee that you will display real leadership mastery. Very often, your initiative to solve this crisis can certainly help you avoid similar problems in the future. And, and that is one thing we fail to understand, that our ability to solve the current crisis actually helps avoid similar problems in future. Many times, some people run away 
from such crises and then or they just disappear and it forever lingers. I mean, don't you even imagine what goes on? I, I said this to a friend of mine who happens to be one of the main anchors on one of our top you know, media stations. And I asked him a question. I said, how do you guys cope? Thank God I'm not a journalist. I don't know how I would cope. Every day you wake up and you're talking about almost the same thing. You doubt it? Just make a mark of it from now. Watch any of the TV channels every morning. Just whatever the analysts, the pundits, the whoever, what they are going to be talking about, it's almost a repeated episode of episodes within episodes and episodes. Why? It's simply because there isn't any initiative to solve the crisis. It feels like Nigeria is perpetually in crisis. But it's not about Nigeria. It's about you and I. And it is about our attitude and our behaviors. And that's what fuels it. Because if we choose to do things differently, there will be a knock-on effect on how things will go. And what is that major knock-on effect? Is the ability to display calm in impending disaster. You know, have you ever been in a, in a, in a plane and then you have some very bad turbulence? Whoa! If you haven't, pray you don't. If you are not, if you don't, don't have a good heart. I've experienced a few very very turbulent times. In fact, there are certain zones that, at certain times of the year, if you want to cross and you're flying through. For example, if you're doing, uh, I think it used to be then, it would be Abuja Joss or something. It used to be serious. I mean, when you fly that route or Joss Abuja, or you're taking Calabar Portacot, there are some routes that the turbulence will make you shiver. I read a story some time back, wasn't, um, I think it was in the US. That in the late 80s, there was an emergency aboard a whiteboard jetliner making a cross-country flight. The plane was somewhere over a certain city, I can't remember the city, when suddenly and without warning, many vital control systems failed. It was a catastrophe, pure and simple. The damage to the plane's internal system could hardly have been more severe. Flying the plane in that condition was like trying to steer a car by opening and closing the doors. An emergency landing was requested at a remote airfield. Then, and the plane began its perilous descent. Now, owing to the pilot's almost incredible skill and performance, the plane made a crash landing with a minimal number of injuries. Although some people did lose their lives, it was a miracle that anyone survived at all. The minutes that passed between the start of the emergency and the landing could hardly have been more terrifying. You know, when this account was given later, I think when conversations between the pilots and the control tower were broadcast on the national news then, it sounded like a very calm chat between two casual acquaintances. 
there were no raised voices and no indication of apparent stress, anger, or fear. What am I pulling out here, friends? Between the pilot and the control tower, when they played back the conversations, it was like a very calm chat between two casual acquaintances. It had no indication of the severity of the challenge and the crisis they were going through. Friends, this way of responding in a crisis, of course, is drilled into airline personnel throughout their training and their careers. It is the mark of professionalism, but it is also the most effective form of behavior from a practical standpoint. And I'm asking you today, if you ever find yourself in any form of crisis, please, by the mercies of God, ask God to help you to bring that spirit of calm upon you. In the way you will communicate, in the way you are going to act. Those days I used to go watch football at the stadium. We're living in Sulere. And those days when the Green Eagles, uh, it wasn't Super Eagles then, would play, the days of them, Odegbami and Chuku, would have to leave and you have to get to the station and, I beg your pardon, the, you have to get to the stadium there in Sulere, National Stadium, as early as 8 a.m when we start filing in for a match that will take place at 4.30, we'll be in the stadium from like 8. You'll carry your food and whatever to the stadium. And because the crowd was always serious. On one of such occasions, when you hear about this thing called stampede, it's because some people just forget themselves and panic. There was a particular match where there was a panic and the stampede. Boom! It was just something that erupted and people started rushing towards the gate. As God would have it, I just sat and I stood, I sat where I was. I didn't move an inch. Friends, that particular match, there were casualties. And it was just because people were rushing towards the gate. Have you seen when something happens? The first thing that happens, everybody rushes for the gate. If you can just hold back yourself or you see cars turning, turning frantically and turning and everybody's broom, broom, broom. If you calm down and just wait or there's a crowd running towards you and then you turn around, you don't know what is making them run. You don't know where you're running to. At least take a sidestep and observe. Calm down. This way of responding in the crisis, friends, is a mark of professionalism in every form and shape. And it is the most effective form of behavior from a practical standpoint. So, keep this first principle of crisis leadership firmly in your mind. Getting excited and keeping calm almost always does. The second thing I'll say to you is to resist emotionality. See, as a leader, you must train yourself to resist instinctive emotional responses. Force yourself to think positively. Even if you don't believe your own reassurances, but just force yourself to think positively. Ego better. I just love those three, three words. Ego better. 
when you go on the negative side, it brings you through a spiral of doubts, of worry, and you never really get to settle because your emotions will be at all manner of spaces. Very few situations are as bad as they seem in the moment. Even if a situation is as bad as it seems, your best course is to behave otherwise. Act as if everything is under control, and chances are it soon will be. That is why I love the fact that we are first and foremost spirit beings. Where do you keep faith? Where do you keep hope? And where is your belief system? If you are a strong believer and you remain stuck in that positivity, you will see something will happen. Quietly ask yourself, what can I do to make this situation better? How quickly should I act? Who can be of help? After I make the first move, what are the second, third, and fourth things I should do? How can I measure the effectiveness of the steps I take? All of this can be answered also when you look at who are your support system. I'm grateful to my family. I'm grateful to my dear friends. I'm more grateful to my accountability partner. And I'm also grateful to my coach and every other one that plays one role or the other in my life, including my little daughter, who is going to be 11 next week. There are moments that she will just come in and just hold me and she does one funny thing which I don't understand. She'll hold me and then she'll start tapping my head like, you know how you tap a baby and say, well, you know, it's okay, it's okay, it'll be okay. She does that ever so often and I look at her and say, am I your son or your baby or what? That you always, you hold me, hold my head and then tap my head. She said, no, daddy, I just want you to know that all will be well. Don't worry, you work so hard. Don't worry, it will be fine. And I looked at her and said, Morenica, so what makes you think that I'm not fine? She said, I know you now, you're my daddy. You always, you work very hard. And it's good. But just know also that it will be well. So I, you know, hey, if I didn't have such an, a support structure, what would happen? I'll probably run off. You know, it's tough for everyone. It's tough. And you can imagine what people go through. You know, I know of a story. There was a story of a young woman who actually used some of these questions I shared with you to lead herself through the most intense crisis of her life. Remember I said, what can I do to make this situation better? How quickly should I act? Who can be of help? What are the second, third, and fourth things I should do? And how do I measure the effectiveness of the steps I take? This lady actually used these questions to lead herself through the most intense crisis of her life. The day after a routine physical checkup, her phone rang. Her physician wanted her back in his office as soon as possible to run some more tests. It seemed the tests already taken during the routine exam suggests that she might have had a form of cancer. The lady was devastated by the news. A thousand thoughts ran through her head. 
And when the follow-up test confirmed the cancer diagnosis, there was a moment when she totally collapsed inside. You know what? But she had always been a strong person, a person who understood the need for self-leadership in times of crisis. Soon, she began to pull herself together. She began asking questions of her doctor. She started doing research on her own. And gradually, the real facts of her situation began to emerge. At that stage, her illness had a 95% cure rate. She focused on the strong probability that come what may, the odds of survival were strongly in her favor. Even after 18 months of drug therapy failed to eliminate the disease, she concentrated on the positive aspects of her situation. She had to undergo surgery, but at least surgery was possible and would probably be effective. And this is what she said. I told myself to have faith and not to let fear destroy me. She said, I put myself in the mindset that I could handle anything that life brought. Fortunately for her, the surgery was successful. Four years later, there was no evidence of the disease. And as she rightly put it, every day I face, I face life anew. Friends, how many of you are going through this kind of situation or may have gone through? I did, at least. I've done twice. The first time was... I think in 2013, 20, yeah, 2013, thereabout, I had this severe back pain. I went in, I had to see all oh, a specialist, starting from Lagos. Yeah, I saw a specialist. They sent me in for MRI. They sent me in for this, for that. And then I'd just taken out the role at L'Oreal. And it was so painful, friends. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk well. I was now walking like a 101-year-old man. Every step was gruesomely painful. I could barely sit up or sleep at night. And when they diagnosed whatever they diagnosed then, I had to now go through a series of, you know, therapy. One of such was, I remember vividly that my doctor called me and said they needed to give me an injection directly into my spine, the type of injection they give to women who are pregnant who want to deliver. That was how bad the pain was. And they now said to me that that injection was a 50-50 because it was going to be given IV straight into my spine. That some people react to it and they may shift at that point, I'm become crippled and disabled. That it was 50-50. It was the very strong one that needed to be done. What choice did I have? I just said, you know what? Go ahead, doctor. I'll be fine. They put me on the bed. I sat upright, and the doctor went behind, did what he had to do, and then I stood up. And momentarily, I felt some relief, but... By the time I got to my house, the pain went 10 times more. What could I do? I just kept on telling myself that this cup will pass. I knew that this cup will pass. I kept telling myself. And when I was just over a place I could take myself, I decided to go out to get a second opinion. I flew to Dubai. I was sent to a specialist in Dubai. And I went to see this very intelligent 
doctor, specialist. And he looked at me, put me through, yes, the, I went through another round of MRI, blah, blah, blah. And he came back and did a simple, put me on, on the bed and brought out this hammer type of device and started knocking me different spaces. And then he got to a point, just like this lady, he said, Mr. Edang, um, I'm happy to announce that you are 95% away from a surgery. You don't need a surgery. That's the good part. And I just said to him, I thank God. He said, but it's going to be a whole life-changing thing. Then he gave me some medication. I came back to Nigeria, and I started going through the healing process. Then suddenly, I started reacting to one of the medications there. And it would just pop stuff on my body would come out different things were popping out you know and then would dry up get up and i knew it would have been the medication but which one so i put a call to i'm not going to call the medication so people will not begin to panic if they are ever taking it but if you are going through a process and you start reacting just know that it could be the medication just call up your doctor and let them check which one has that contraindication cut a long story short I was so positive, and the doctor kept telling me, I don't know how you're doing. I said, Doc, you know what? I'm going to be running very soon. Was at that point, he said to me, you're going to stay off playing golf. You're going to stay off playing tennis for a while. You're not going to cycle or do any of those things again. Just walk because of that. I'm talking about almost 10 years ago. And a new journey started. So, friends, these things happen. But you know what? What makes the difference is the state of your heart and mind being calm being calm and positive if you're calm and positive whatever news will come you'll manage to so resist emotionality friends this is an amazing topic and we are going to take it for a while because it's important that you and i come to a place where a place of rich fulfillment, and it only comes when we understand how to truly deal with crisis, whatever form. And we'll talk about how we can break this down into manageable increments in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I hope you found this session quite um, informative and also encouraging. And while at it, if you have any questions, do not hesitate to send a mail to contact at navigatewithid.com or better still, just, you know, give me a DM. Send a DM to any of my social media handles across the platforms. It is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G. Can't stop loving you guys. And whatever it is you're going through, just know that your best days are still ahead. Every day, life comes anew. So don't waste it. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.